Praise the Lord. Let's gather in. Just a reminder that we'll be wrapping up the Christmas for Christ offering next Sunday. That is our deadline. Um, We do have some uh, envelopes still left if you want to choose one from there. Otherwise, if there's just something on your heart, you want to put it in there, please indicate that on your offering envelope that it's for Christmas for Christ. Um, Also, for cleaning, we have a schedule on the back bulletin board. We still have some slots open for the year. If you want to sign up for a month, please uh, check that out back there. And then February 5th, men, there is a prayer breakfast in Thorpe at 9 a.m. So please make plans to attend. You'll be getting together with other men from the section. It will be an amazing time. Hallelujah. It's good to be in God's service, good to be in God's service, good to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me live, he didn't have to let me live. It's good to be in God's service one more time. It's good to be in God's service, good to be in God's service, good to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me live. He didn't have to let me live. It's good to be in God's service one more time. I'm glad to be in God's service. I'm glad to be in God's service. Glad to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me live. He didn't have to let me live. I'm glad to be in God's service one more time. I'm glad to be in God's service, so glad to be in God's service, glad to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me live, he didn't have to let me live, I'm glad to be in God's service one more time. I'm glad to be in God's service, glad to be in God's service, glad to be in God's service one more time. He didn't have to let me live, he didn't have to let me live, I'm glad to be in God's service one more time. Are you glad? Let's give him glory. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. So glad that he gave us another opportunity to serve him, to worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this new day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Messiah's come and he brought life and he put laughter into my soul. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Messiah's come and he's brought life. And he put laughter into my soul. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Messiah's come and he brought life. And he put laughter into my soul. It would have been enough if he brought love. It would have been enough if he brought peace. It would have been enough if he brought hope. But he put laughter into my soul. It would have been enough. If he brought love, it would have been enough if he brought peace. It would have been enough if he brought life, laughter into my soul. Come let us sing, let us rejoice, come let us sing. Let us rejoice. Messiah's come, and he's brought light, and he put laughter into my soul. Come, let us sing. Let us rejoice. Come, let us sing. Let us rejoice. Messiah's come. And he brought life, and he put laughter into my soul. It would have been enough if he brought love. It would have been enough if he brought peace. It would have been enough if he brought hope. But he put laughter into my soul. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Come let us sing, let us rejoice. Messiah's come and he brought life. And he put laughter into my soul. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands, make a joyful noise. Blow the trumpet and shout. We're praising for the victory. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. We're praising for the victory. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands, make a joyful noise. Blow the trumpet and shout. We're praising for the victory. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. We're praising for the victory. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap your hands, make a joyful noise. Blow the trumpets and shout. We're praising for the victory. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. We're praising for the victory. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't turn back now. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't turn back now. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't turn back now. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. I won't turn back now. Lift up your voice and sing for joy. Clap. Blow the trumpets and shout. We're praising for the victory. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. We're praising for the victory. Well, this is then sing for joy. Clap your hands, make a joyful noise. Blow the trumpets and shout. We're praising for the victory. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way that the battle is won. This is the way that we fight. We're praising for the victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord our Savior this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our so great salvation. He is our exceeding great reward. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is no one else. 
There is no God beside you. There is no Savior beside you. You sit on the throne all by yourself. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my God and my salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are my all in all. You are my ever-present help in time of need. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are ever worthy. You are altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise, to receive all glory and all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are our King, and we magnify you today. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. Hallelujah, Jesus, the one true wise living God. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are our God. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we worship you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here this morning. Praise God. Praise God. He is an awesome God. And He is worthy. If we throw out for just a moment, and it would take a while to do that, everything He's done for us, and just focus on who He is. He is altogether worthy. Because He's God. But in addition to that, He has done all of these exceeding good things for us. Time would fail to tell in any one of our lives all that God has done for us. What a good God we serve. What a great God we serve. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Uh, just one thing really quick. I do need to meet with the church board up here immediately following service. It won't take long. Uh, we just need to go over a couple quick things, and we'll be on our merry way. Amen. Having said that, uh, I'm not preaching today. Sister Rudy is preaching today. I felt it felt good in the Holy Ghost to ask her. She said she had something ready. So, deal. <laughs> Amen. Sister Rudy, would you come? Let's all stand. As she comes, let's continue to worship the Lord our God. Let's lift our hearts, our hands, our voices to Him. He's worthy one more time to receive worship. Jesus, you're an awesome God. Jesus, you're a mighty King. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the Lord our God. You are our so great salvation. There is no one like you. There is no one but you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, I'm going to clarify that. I don't know if I'm preaching, teaching, or just giving you a word that God gave to me. And this is something that he put in my spirit. It's been in here for a long time. And actually, Tuesday night, it was like the Lord kind of said, well, you need to talk about this. And I'm like, Lord, if I need to talk about this, then you need to tell Brother Becker I need to talk about this. But if this is just for me, that's okay. And sure enough, Wednesday night, he asked me, and I'm like, yep, God's got it. So with that, um, 
I'm just going to let you guys be seated because we're going to be reading the Word of God, and I'm going to forget, and you're going to be standing, and you're just going to be uncomfortable. So. so the title of this message is, What's Kept in Your Heart? And the first scripture I'm going to read is from Jeremiah 17. And this, these scriptures are going to be familiar, and the things I'm talking about to you will probably be familiar But the way that the Lord presented it to me, I just couldn't get it out of my spirit. So Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Deceitful, fraudulent, crooked, polluted. You know, years ago, um, the Lord spoke to me for a whole year about homeschooling. And when I homeschooled, it wasn't a thing. In fact, I had never heard of it. My husband came home, and he had heard of it. And I don't know, they might have had something a little bit on the Christian radio. And, uh, but they had a news article about some homeschoolers that had met with one of our Um, people from Madison and so that's how I got connected with some people that homeschooled but it took me a whole year you know the Lord sometimes when he speaks to me it takes me a while I don't like to be like that I don't want it to be like that I want to hear his voice you know his sheep hear his voice and none other will they listen to but during that period of time a lot of times there are Things that you have to sacrifice, you have to be willing for. One thing was that we were going to be living on one income. My time was going to be taken up. I was going to have to prepare. And I was. it took me a year, but I was willing to do it. <laughs> because every time I got down and prayed, the Lord said, you need to homeschool. I can't do that, Lord. Well, you need to do it. Because he knew what was in my heart. And he knew what was necessary for me. But during that period of time, you know, I never shopped. I, for, I don't know, many years I never bought anything new. Anything that I had received had been new used to me. But I was willing to do that because he called me to do it. And I knew he had a purpose and a plan. But one day I was reading about covetousness that it crouches at every man's heart. And I'm like, Lord, no. You know it's not there at my heart. And he's like, oh, yeah, it is. And I'm like, how can that be? I don't even look at magazines. I, I will not go shopping. I will not look at magazines. How can it be? But it can be because we really don't know what's in our heart. But he does. It was one of those life lessons that I needed to learn, even though I thought I wasn't covetous. You know, sometimes we just think we're good people. I mean, we try to be. We try to do the right thing. But every day, he has brought me every day to the cross, to the foot of the cross, to plead his blood. Because what I think's in there, it's not always in there. And, you know, sometimes I am ashamed to say, of where, what I did because, you know what, sometimes we just, we've had enough and we're just going to speak our mind. 
Because the next scripture I want to go to is Proverbs 15.3. And it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You know, we think we can hide. We think we can hide from God. We may be able to hide from others, but eventually it's what you speak, it comes out. It's how you act. It's how you behave. You can hide for a little while, but you know what? Eventually it comes out. And the next scripture is from, I don't know if I can read it. Or yes, it is. From Matthew 12, 34. And this is where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. But the last part of that verse says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. You know, if you, anywhere you go, people are just willing to tell you their stories if you're willing to listen. You know, I was just at the grocery store the other day, and there was this gentleman, he was checking me out. And you know what I learned from him? I learned he didn't like the snow. I learned he was getting off work at 2.30. I learned that then he was going to be moving into a new apartment, all from the short time that he was checking out my groceries. People have a need to share with others. You know, sometimes they don't have somebody that will listen, or, or they, they just have a need to talk. If you are a listening ear, you're going to find out a lot of stuff. You know, and sometimes your actions... The things you say, that's going to tell me what's in your heart. Now, I remember another time, not so long ago, I was at the grocery store again, and there was this lady ahead of me, and I didn't hear what she was saying to the cashier, but then it came my time. She had left, and the cashier said, Did you hear what that lady said to me? I'm like, No. Well, you know, cashiers have a rhythm of how they're checking you out. And sometimes I'm hesitant to pull things forward or take things out of the basket because they've got their rhythm. And because I was cashier before that, I understand that. Well, this lady was trying to help the cashier, and she was pulling stuff. And, but the cashier had a rhythm, and she, she just told the lady, that's okay. You don't need to do that. I, I got it. But the lady misunderstood. And she said, what? Are you afraid to touch the groceries after I've touched them? Well, apparently they were already in her cart, so she had already touched them. And who knows how many other people had touched them. And the cashier's trying to explain to her, no, you know, I, I didn't. And, and, and so her negative attitude affected the cashier so that the ha- cashier had to say, you know, we, we are so easily offended. So we are so easy to just wear our feelings on our sleeves because that's what's in our heart. Because we have been hurt and wounded. There's not one of us here. Anybody had a leave it to beaver family life? I'd say not. And if you don't know who that is, you can just look that up. (laughs) But, you know, I worked with a friend who it seemed like it was just all together. All together. You know, children were compliant, never never gave them trouble. She had this good marriage, bought a house, bought another house. Yeah, everything was together. But one day, illness came to that family. You know, you don't know. You don't know what is ahead. You don't know what's in your heart until you go through circumstances or situations. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about what Mary kept in her heart. And that's really where this all began, is the Lord, I read the scripture, I had read it before, and you know, Mary kept some things in her heart. And the way the Lord deals with me a lot of times is he gives me pictures. Not really that I visualize it, but it's kind of like word pictures. I must be a visual person. So if we could go to Luke 2, and we're going to read verses 16 through 19. But before we do that, I just want to, I know that this is a familiar story. But I want you to kind of see the the perspective from where the Lord kind of dealt with me with Mary is. You know, here's this young woman. And they had heard that the Messiah was going to be coming and a virgin would bear this child. So here the Lord sends an angel to Mary. And the angel tells her that she's the one. You know, and so she gladly receives it. She gladly accepts it. But I'm thinking in my mind, now she is engaged to be married to Joseph. What is Joseph going to think? How do you go home and say, hey, Mom and Dad, I just saw an angel, and you know what he told me? I'm going to bear the Messiah, you know, the Savior, the one that we've been waiting for. You know, how do you go and try to convince people that the Lord spoke to you? You know, I'm thinking, how does this work, Lord? Well, we're, we're not given all that information. But I, we do know that the Lord sent an angel to Joseph in a dream and told him, because Joseph was a just man, by this time he had known that she was pregnant. I don't know if he's, you know, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant, and Mary was, the angel had just told her the way I understand it. And so she went to visit Elizabeth. Did she hide out at Elizabeth's for three months before she came home? And apparently uh, people realized that she was pregnant. I don't know. But as soon as she went to Elizabeth and she entered the house, the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy. And Elizabeth gave this great salutation about how you are the mother of my Lord. And then Mary, she does too. So the Lord, whenever he gives you word, it's like he confirms it. But he doesn't always show you the beginning from the end. He doesn't show you the path that you have to take. So this goes on. And then I'm thinking, Mary's young. This is her first child. And guess what? She doesn't even get to be home with her family and her friends to have this this baby, to celebrate with them. No, they have to go to Bethlehem. And I don't know. You ladies understand what it's like to be pregnant and almost there to give birth to your child. You can't sleep. You can't move. Nothing's comfortable. And she's on a donkey or walking to Bethlehem. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like this is the way the Lord's going to lead us. I'm carrying the Messiah, and this is what you're asking me to do. And, and then they get there, and they have no place. But by then, she's in labor, and I'm sure she's just grateful for that, that stable. Honestly, she, you know, when you're ready to give birth, you're just, yeah, let's get it done. So they are there. And so we're going to come, and then the, the shepherds, they're in the field. The angel comes tells them about the birth of Messiah. They tell them where to find him. And then the angels are singing in heaven. 
And so then they come and they go find that baby. And this is kind of where we're at. So with verse 15, it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came and made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the sayings which were told unto them concerning the child. And all they heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She didn't speak them. She thought about them. She kept them in her heart. I think that she probably wondered. You know, in those days, the Romans were the ones that were the governors and overseers. You know, many times they had been taken captive, but now they were like captives in their own their own cities, in their own homeland. And, you know, pe- you know, I don't know what they thought. Did they think he was going to be the Messiah that was really going to have a throne on this earth as David did? What, what was their understanding? What was Mary's understanding of who this Messiah was going to be? I don't know. But she kept these things in her heart. And so then, after they had this baby... Eight days went by, and then they were following the law. So then they went, and they were going to dedicate him. Um, I need to get there. So, And we're going to go to Luke 2, 25 through 35. And I know this is kind of long, but I just want to lay down some foundation. All right. So they are going, and all they're thinking is, we're going to fulfill the law. We're going to give what we need to give, and then we're going to go home. That's what they're thinking. But God always has different plans than what our plans are. Because, you know, he knows our hearts, and we don't. And he knows what is necessary. So they go. And let's see. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. And he, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do to him After the custom of the law, they took him up. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to the word, thy word. For my eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his Mary marveled, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of of him. And Simon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, 
and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanil, of the tribe of Aether. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake unto him of all them that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So, when they were there, and Simon said to her, of all the things he said to her, he said, a sword shall pierce your soul. I wonder what Mary thought at that time. Those words would have stood out to me. What do you mean a sword is going to pierce my soul? Is that the way I'm going to die? You know, I mean, all these things were happening. God was laying a foundation, and she kept these things in her heart. I don't think she talked to them with Joseph. She just kept them in her heart and mulled them around in her mind. So they go back to Bethlehem, and the wise men come. The child grew. The wise men came. They, brought, they came bearing gifts. They worshipped him. You know, they had stopped by and told Herod they're looking for the king of the Jews. You know the story. They go. The angel warns them in the dream not to go back the same way. Don't go back and report to to Herod where this child is because Herod wanted to find this king of the Jews and kill him. So here Mary and Joseph are. And the Lord gives Joseph a dream. God had made a provision. The frankincense, the myrrh, the gold, that was what they would live on because God was sending them to Egypt to fulfill a prophecy and to keep Jesus safe. Because Herod was going to send his, shol- his soldiers, and every child two years and under were going to be killed. So they had to fly, flee in the middle of the night. Now, if I'm thinking, I'm Mary, and I'm thinking, all these things are happening, I'm carrying the Messiah. I don't get it. You know, here we are running for our lives. We can't be with our family. Now we can't be in our homeland. Who wants to go to Egypt? He had already delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but that was where God was sending them. What was she thinking in her mind? How could she put it all together that her child, Jesus, was going to be the Messiah, the king of the Jews? How was that all going to work out? And then in the process of all these things happening, news does travel, and Herod did send his soldiers to kill the babes in Bethlehem. Me as a mother, first of all, I would have been so grateful that he had spared Jesus. Of course he did. But it would have grieved my heart for all those other mothers that lost their children. It wasn't really Mary's fault. But you can't, that cannot not affect you if you're a mother. What was she thinking? How could this all come into, I just can't imagine what it was like for her. But they stayed there, and the Lord was with them. And the Lord, finally, when Herod died, he gave Joseph another dream and said, Now you can return home. 
So we're going to fast forward to when Jesus was 12 years old and able to go to the temple. And you know the story well. He went to the temple. They were there. And they were on their way home. They thought Jesus was in the company. He wasn't. They came back. They searched for him three days. And they found him talking with the Pharisees. And, you know, they said, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Why didn't you come with us? We were searching for three days. You know, you can imagine what it's like. It's enough if you've ever been in a store and maybe your child was out of view and you couldn't find him. Let alone for three days you cannot find your son. So they found him. And he said, he just said one simple word, sentence. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? And there again, Mary kept those sayings in her heart she kept them in her heart she pondered them she wondered what you know what is this what was in judas's heart he was one of the 12 he had been with jesus let's back up here a little bit when did mary really understand that maybe jesus had a greater purpose it was when they were at that wedding And they ran out of wine. And she came to Jesus. She told him what was going on. And he said, my time has not yet come. But she knew that his time had come. That was a pushing for him to create that first miracle. She, you know, things were beginning to maybe click with her. Like the spirit was on her. And she's like, okay, this is your time. So what was in the heart of Judas? He was one of the called. He was there. Every time there was a miracle, he was there. What was in his heart? Well, we kind of come to know what was in his heart. He was there when that woman, she broke that alabaster block or box that had that expensive perfume in it. And he said, why? Why did you let this happen, Lord? We could have taken that money, 300 pence. We could have given it to the poor. But the Bible says he wasn't interested in the poor because he was a thief and he was holding the bag. That's how it came to be that he could betray Jesus for some pieces of silver. What was in the heart of Peter? You know, Peter denied the Lord three times. He said he wouldn't. He went to the garden. He had that sword. He was ready to fight. He called. He cut off that ear of that servant. But what was in his heart? What was the difference between Judas and Jesus? I mean, Judas and Peter. Peter, he denied the Lord three times. The Lord told him he was going to do it, and Jesus, Peter just didn't believe it. But what was in his heart was when Jesus looked at him, He was repentant and sorrowful, and he wept bitterly. Judas could have wept bitterly. I believe there was forgiveness for Judas, but he had come to the place where he was told a lie from the pit of hell that there was nothing more to do but to hang yourself. He couldn't keep that money. He had to throw it at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not want it. You know, we do not know what's in our heart. And now we're going to fast forward to Calvary. You know, I've heard it said, and I heard a sermon from T.W. Barnes, and, he, and the Lord just kind of gave him this vision one day of what 
his face was like when he was at Calvary. You know, it says it was he was bruised for iniquity. You know, they just didn't beat him a little. They just didn't slap his face a little. His face was beaten. It was swollen. It was bruised. Those stripes on his back were for our healing today. You know, if Jesus, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his mother would not have recognized him if she had not known it was him. And you're thinking, no, that's not really possible. I, you know, I had to think about this for a while. But I'm telling you it's the truth. And you know how I know it's the truth? I had a second cousin. They had a family of four children, or four sons and three daughters. The first daughter was young and was killed in a car accident. Somebody hit her. The oldest daughter had an illegal abortion, and she passed away. So the youngest daughter, they had one daughter left. She was in high school. And her brother closest to her age, they were pretty close in age. They were like best friends to each other. She was going out with her brother's best friend. So Tommy, he comes home one night. His mom and dad are out of town. He comes home. Next day he's talking to his brothers. He's like, you know, I saw this terrible accident. I was driving by, and this car was on fire. And I helped pull the passengers away from that that fire. Well, Tommy didn't know that the male was his best friend and the girl passenger was his sister. By the grace of God, he didn't know that. So when Jesus was hanging on that cross and you couldn't even recognize him, oh, don't you think that's when the sword went through Mary's soul? As a mother, heartbroken. As his disciples, they were heartbroken. But you know what? It didn't end there. The story did not end there. It had to be done because we don't know what's in our heart. We don't understand that every single day we need to plead his blood over our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits. We don't understand that the things that we hold in our heart They're visible to others by the words that we speak, by the actions that we take. Now, there is none righteous. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when you plead the blood, he doesn't see us. He sees his righteousness because it's covered. He can no longer see that sin. But you know what? Sometimes we get uncomfortable with that. Sometimes we think we're okay. Sometimes the burdens, the shame, the hurt, the unforgiveness. Do you know that 70% of unforgiveness calls illnesses to people? It's a known fact. You know, who wants to forgive? If I forgive, they're off the hook. Not so. If you forgive, you're off the hook. God will take care of that situation, either here or in eternity. But you don't know how people have hurt me. Oh, man. I can tell you right now to this day that I was sitting in one of those pews, and I was heartbroken. And I said, Lord, I am heartbroken. And you know what he said? I know. He knew. But he said, that's the way I feel about the lost. 
I've never been able to shake that. There's nothing out there that you can give exchange for what God can give you. He knows your heart. But you know what? We get comfortable. We build walls. I've done it. Nobody's going to hurt me. I'm not going to let you hurt me again like that. We like to carry that around because we feel comfortable. Because we've had it for years and years and years since we've been children. We don't want to let that go. But sometimes we're under conviction. And we do. We go to the cross and we're like, okay, Lord, here you go. There you go. I'm good. It's at the foot of the cross. But then something happens. You know what? Every time that you hang on to those things, it's an open door. It's an opportunity for Satan to attach himself to your flesh. You know what? Every single day, I pray, Lord, help me to be a broken woman this day, constantly broken, constantly yielded before your throne by your hand according to your will and purposes alone. I pray, Lord, if there's a spirit of resentment, anger, confusion, doubt, selfishness, bitterness, envy, a seducing spirit of the Antichrist in me, I'm praying all this worldliness out of my heart because I really don't know what's in there. I ask him to bring to my mind the things that I need to confess. Every day I charge him with saving me because this this flesh is enmity between me and him. And he's not going to usurp my authority. So I give him permission, whatever it takes, Lord, for my will to break, for me so that I can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heaven is my home. This is not my home. This is not heaven on earth. We all know that. There's another reality that is more real than this. And I cannot do it on my own. So I submit to his crucifixion process. So you lay it at the foot of the cross. And I learned this lesson a long time ago. There were a lot of things going on. And I'd say, okay, Lord, I'm just laying my family at the foot of the cross. I'd laid it there. I'd get up. A couple days would pass. Stuff would happen. I was carrying it around again. I was picking it up. I was fretting. I was worrying. I can't take care of this. The Lord's like, no, you can't. There's nothing you can do. It's not my righteousness. It's his. You have to learn to lay those things down. But not just to lay them down, but not to pick them up again. You know, when you rehearse your past, your hurts, when you keep rehearsing them, you paralyze your future. You know, words create pictures. Pictures create feelings. Feelings create actions. And actions will create your destiny. I am not going to let Satan create my destiny. I'm not going to let him dictate who I am or what I am. I'm going to let the Lord tell me I'm the child of the king. It's not my righteousness. I could never do it. But he did it for me at the cross. 
You know, the first time I really understood what Calvary was about was when I was 13 or 14. I didn't get to go. I didn't go to church. I didn't grow up knowing God. But whenever we went to Eau Claire, my grandmother made sure we got to church. And she must have given me a Bible. It's the only place I can think that I had it from. I lived with my father and stepmother. It was a horrible situation. There were like 10 children. My dad was illiterate. My stepmother didn't work. We barely had food, what you would call food. It was cold. We lived in this house that was 100 years old or better, single panes. But every night I would read the word of God. I don't know how. He just laid it on my heart. And I remember it was cold. There was ice on the windows. I barely had a blanket to cover me. I was shivering cold. But I remember reading about Calvary. And it was just like the Lord said, it was for you that I died. And I sat in that bed and I wept and I cried. Because for the first time in my life, I understood that there was somebody that loved me unconditionally that saw down the future and knew my name and who I was. It took four more years before revelation and understanding came, and I came to know the Lord. But he was working on me. I kept that in my heart. You know, we can decide what we're going to keep in our heart. And there's one other thing I just want to talk about, and I know I have talked about it before, but it is so worth mentioning again. Because the first time I heard it, it got into me. But when I read it over and over, I just really began to grasp the understanding of the situation. And I'm going to talk about Sister Wendell. Bobby Wendell, when they went to Ethiopia, you know, it took them nine years to get there. Now, God had called them to Ethiopia, but it almost took a decade before they could get there. So they got there. Brother Wendell went first. He stayed at the YMCA. But, you know, in Ethiopia, you don't just get to go. At that time, you couldn't just go and, you know, start a church and stuff because they did have a state church. And not only that, but the government's like, you're going to come in and you want to help our people? Okay. Well, well, we'll give you something to help. You help with the leopards. You know, we don't understand what leprosy is like, but we do understand that there is something going around that can be very contagious. Well, That's the way it was. Leprosy was very contagious. It's an ugly disease. It's putrid. It's stinky. So Brother Wendell had gone. They had four children they took with them. You know, it's one thing if you're called to go somewhere. It's another thing to have to to take your children with. Not to have to. It was a privilege. But your children might not always see that as a privilege. You know, it's one thing that you say you're going to lay your life down. It's another thing to take your children say their lives may be laid down too. So when they went, it took them four flight, three flights to get there. Brother Wendell had been there. The children went home. And then he said to Sister Wendell, I just want to take you and show you what I've been doing. So he takes her. He doesn't tell her. He takes her. So she's in the car. It's hot. The windows are down. And she sees all, all these people start gathering around. He, he gets out of the car. He goes down this embankment. She can't see where he's going. She doesn't know what he's doing. And all these people start, you know, coming around the car. Well, first of all, she's a white woman. Secondly, she's got a lot of hair. 
And as they're coming around, they're all wrapped up in white gauze. Their faces are covered. Their hands are covered. And she's not understanding what's going on. But revelation came pretty quickly. As the wind began to, to blow, and it blew away the gauze from their faces, she could see half-eaten faces. As the wind began to blow, she could see that some people had, were missing digits or part of a hand or all of a hand. And they were oozing, and it, 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 it was not a good smell. You know, every country has their own smell, but when you, you get around disease and rotting flesh, and it, it was just making her sick, and she just was waiting. She was praying that her husband would come back to that car. And when he came back to the car, he was laughing and joking, and he wanted to tell her all about it, and she's thinking, why can he laugh and joke? And she said, take me home. And he said, Bobby, you're home. And she kind of knew what he meant. Nine years they had been waiting to be there. And she said, well, just take me where the children are. Well, that night, they got a little more of culture shock. You know, these leopards were told that they had no souls, and they believed it by the state church. They were not allowed inside the pavilion where the state churches were. They were not allowed to come in. They were told they had no soul. So what they would do is beg outside hoping that somebody would give them a little piece of money. Because if that person supposedly gave them money, they would be delivered from hell, and then the leopard could have something to eat that day. And they had to, of course, congregate together because they weren't welcome anywhere else. So, brother and sister Wendell and their four children, they were going to help feed these leopards. But what they had was they had these big buckets Four buckets, actually. And the food that they were going to give them was the food that was left over from the hotel that people had left on their plates. And Sister Wendell said there were lines. There were thousands of people lined up. And she said there was noise and babies crying and people jostling to try to get the best spot because they wanted something to eat that day. And she said her two daughters were at the beginning of the lines and they, were, they had spoons that they were just spooning this food to the people. And their, their, their daughters were crying. There were tears running down their face. From the culture, the, the, it, w- it was such a shock to them, this culture. And, and it was ugly and it wasn't pretty. And she said they went home in the car. And she said it was silence. It was silence. So She's the mother. She's going to rally them. She gets home. She says, oh, what would you guys like? Whatever you want to eat, I'll fix it for you. And, of course, nobody ate that night. And when her children went to bed, she prayed all night long. And she went room to room and laid her hands on her children. And she said, none of these diseases, Lord, none of these diseases. She wasn't willing that they would get those diseases. And you can understand that. She was living in fear. God had called them there. But she needed to pray over her children that the Lord would keep them safe. So she did acclimate. They did have a place where they were trying to help the leopards. Uh, Brother Wendell had created implements that they could learn how to do some certain things. One thing was weaving. Um, And so they would come, and they would come to the compound, and they would learn a craft so that they would have money so that they could feed themselves. They would marry amongst each other. They would have children. 
And then they would have a Bible study every day, and they would feed them one meal. Well, if you go to these foreign countries, you wonder, why do the missionaries have maids? Cooks. You know, I'd like to have a maid. I'd like to have a cook. I'd really like to have a cook. (laughs) I don't mind the cleaning so much, but give me a cook. But anyway, so, but what we don't understand there is it's just a different world. You know, everything you have to do manually, and it takes time. So in order to really be able to focus on your true mission, you have help. Plus, you're helping somebody else. You're helping somebody else feed their family. You're paying them. So she needed help in her home. And so she told Brother Wendell, and he, or Wendell, and he went and got some help, and he brought this lady home, and Sister Wendell saw him driving in the driveway, and this lady had this great big smile, and she had this African name that I'm not going to tell you because I don't know for sure, but it meant sunshine. And that's what her smile was like. It was like the sunshine. So he brought her in, and he said, here's your help, and he introduced her. And Sister Wendell looked at her, and then she looked at her leg, and she saw this oozing sore. And she said, not in my house. So she went back to the back room where Brother Wendell was, and she said, not in our house. You need to get her out of here. We have children in this house. And he said, I'm not taking her back. She said, you have to. And he said, I'm not doing it. They beat her. This is her only means of income to feed herself. If I take her back, they will beat her again. He said, gave her the keys, said, you want her to go back? You take her. So Sister Wendell grabs the keys, and she grabs her shawl, and she goes out the house, but she didn't take the lady with her. She knew that there was a place that she needed to go, that she needed to get this. She didn't know what was really in her heart. She needed to get it out of her heart. She needed to understand that it took them nine years to get there, that God was their protector, that there was a place called Calvary, that she could lay that burden down. So she went. She went to the compound. And, of course, in Africa, you kind of guard your stuff and you have fences around your stuff. And she went to the compound, and there was a keeper of the gate. He opened the gate for her. She knew that he would be thinking, what is she doing here? It's Saturday. But she just went in. She took her shawl. She laid it on the floor. She said, there's a smell. No matter how much soap you use, you cannot get rid of the smell. And, of course, every day they would wash those leopard's feet. They would put salve on the feet. They would rewrap. By the next day, all this would be oozing out wherever it was, their hands, their nose, their face, their feet. So they would minister to them. Okay, well, that's one thing. And then they would scrub down the building and scrub it all down. And, you know, it's just a bloody, messy situation. And I remember when she spoke in our church, she said, it was just bloody in my church, in my kitchen. There was just nothing I could do. She, I would just, when she left, I would just go by and just wipe it up and clean it up. So she is there, and she puts her prayer shawl down, and she begins to pray. And she's like, God. Something's got to be broken. Something's got to be moved. Something's got to be changed. And the Lord says, move that shawl. She keeps praying again. And the Lord says, move that shawl. Because that shawl was her barrier between her and that floor. Even though it had been scrubbed. But it still, it reeked. 
That was her barrier between the leprosy she thought and her. And so one more time, the Lord said, remove that shawl. So she did. And then he said, lower yourself. So she lowers. Lower yourself again. So she lowers. Lower yourself again. So she's lowering. She's on her knees. She's like, Lord, how low do you want me to get? With your face on the ground, laying flat. And three hours later, she gets up because it was broken. She left that compound. The man that was guarding the gate, she would never look at his hands. She said, will you give me your hands? He wouldn't. He was hiding them behind his back. He knew that it was repulsive to her, but no more. Because she had taken that burden, she had laid it at the cross, and she had left it there, never again to pick it up. So he gave her her hands, his hands, and she said, you'll never again have to hide your hands from me. I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what it's going to take, but I know one thing. If we don't lay it down every single day, every day, that's an opportunity for Satan to come in and grab a hold of us. I am not going to let him steal my joy. I am not going to let him steal what my father has given me, what he has promised me. Sin cannot enter in. Every day I'm going to cover it. There's none righteous but him. You know, I didn't really understand that until last year I heard somebody speak about it. And this is what I'm going to say in closing. This minister talked about going to an adoption. This little boy had been in this family's home for three years, and finally they had the opportunity to adopt him. And when they were at that adoption uh, officiation, you know, they go through it. He was adopted. And, the, and then the judge said, you are now their son. Here's your new birth certificate. And then it had his parents' names on it, his adoptive parents. It had his adoptive parents' last name on it that became his name. You see, when we take the name of Jesus, when we ask for forgiveness, when we plead that blood over our sin, he doesn't see us. He can only see his righteousness. That is why it is so important. I don't want God, I don't want people to see me. There's nothing in me that's good. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see his righteousness. Him and him alone. None but Jesus. I'm not going to let anything come between me and Jesus. In Jesus' name. He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart. Let him do the work so that you can make heaven your home. Thank you, Sister Rudy. Let's all stand. Let's come to the altar. These things are not to be just shrugged off. We need to spend some time in the presence of Jesus right now, speaking with him.
Letting him reveal to us what's in our hearts. She's absolutely right. We have no clue what's in our hearts. We're certain we do. We're convinced that we do. But we don't. It does lie to us. And it does deceive us very easily. But God knows exactly what's in our hearts. God knows why we respond to situations the way we do. God knows why that we react to certain people the way we do. We think we know, but we don't. God knows the things that are inside of our heart, the hurts, the wounds that we've forgotten about. <clears throat> but they still manifest themselves. The situations that we've been through, they still manifest themselves. There's a work that needs to be done. We need to be ready. We cannot be effective for Jesus Christ unless we are truly submitted to Him, healed, delivered, new creatures, not bound by any of these things anymore. <clears throat> to the extent that we are, is the extent that we are not effective in our ministries. This is a word from the Lord this morning, and let's avail ourselves of this opportunity now to get into God's presence. Let Him speak to you. Let Him minister to you. Those things that are in our hearts, we all have them. Let Him reveal those to you. It might be shocking, It might be unbelievable, but let Him reveal those things to you. Let Him heal you. Let Him deliver you. Let Him transform you into something that looks like Him. Amen. Let's spend some time with Jesus this morning. Let's talk with Him. Lord Jesus, help us this morning, I pray. Help us to see as You see. We think, we believe that we have these things figured out. Certainly, if we've been living for you any number of years, all of these things have been taken care of already. Maybe, maybe not, but things can still come in at later times. Situations arrive, circumstances take place. Old wounds move out of the way for new ones. In any case, as the Scriptures have told us, we cannot know what's in our heart. We cannot know the condition of our heart, but You do. You most assuredly do. Nothing is hid from Your eyes. The walls that we erect, the barriers that we create to separate us and protect us from people and circumstances, You see right through them. The facade that we put up Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You see through that. You know the real condition. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would speak with us, that You would minister to our need this morning. As it has been pointed out, we need to know what's in there, Lord Jesus, because we don't. And we can't. 
Help us this morning, I pray. Reveal these things to us if they're there. Heal us. Deliver us. We lay these things at Your feet this morning. These hurts, these wounds, this unforgiveness, whatever it might be, shame, embarrassment, fear, help us to lay these things at Your feet now, I pray, as You reveal them to us. Deliver us, I pray. Set us free in Jesus' name. Help us to take them, to cast them from us, to throw them on the altar and walk away and never see them again, never pick them up again. We can't do this on our own. We can't know these things first of all, but we're powerless in and of ourselves to set ourselves free of these things. We need You. We need You desperately to help us. Help us this morning, I pray. Set us free, Lord Jesus. Set us free to serve You. Set us free to to minister in the capacity You have called us to minister to. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Speak to us now, I pray. Reveal the truth to us. Help us to receive it, Thou Most High. Help us to receive what You speak to us today. And help us to do something with it. To act on the information You give us. When You reveal to us the condition of our heart. Help us to take action. Help us to receive the help that You're willing to give, ready to give, the deliverance, the healing that we so desperately need. Free us to serve You this morning, I pray. Minister to your people this morning, I pray. Undergird them with strength. Encourage them this morning in the Lord their God. It's true. We are not basically good creatures. Before you, we are desperately and hopelessly evil. But you have made us new creatures. Those things are passed away. You have adopted us into your family. We do carry your name through water baptism. You have given us the earnest of our inheritance, the gift of the Holy Ghost. We are your sons and your daughters. Minister to your children this morning, I pray. I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for your so great salvation. 
I'm thankful for the relationship that you established with each of us. The love, the compassion, the mercy that you pour out upon us so freely. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We so desperately need to be effectual. Effectual ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Demonstrating properly Jesus Christ to this world. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The Lord is speaking to us. He is ministering. Continue to call out on Him. 